guys, I've always been very jealous of both of you guys. Like you guys grew up in the Charlotte, North Carolina area. <laughs> like in the eighties. I assume you guys are old enough to be alive in the eighties. It's true. Um barely. You know, you were here in the hotbed of professional wrestling. You know, Rock and Roll Express, uh, Tully Blanchard was living in Matthews, Ric Flair's living off of Providence Road in Charlotte, North Carolina. Like, the wrestlers were a part of the community. So that means, like, you could see these guys that were on the Superstation, and they'd be at the same grocery store that you would be at. So, like, I'm sure you guys ran into a whole bunch of wrestlers growing up as a kid. Was there ever a time where young eight-year-old Micah ran into Ivan Koloff? You know, your enthusiasm for this whole thing... I was really excited, but now I think how I was in the hotbed of pro wrestling, and I didn't run into fucking anybody. What about you, Nick? Don't let me down. I saw Caleb Conley at Walmart one time, that doesn't and ca- he, no, no, no. He, he remembered me enough to come no, up no, and no, say no. hi. No, 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 no. We're talking about Harley Race. We're talking about Road Warrior Hawk. You mean you, uh, mean, you mean you didn't get on a flight where Jimmy Garvin was the pilot? Like, I mean, like, nothing? <laughs> I thought you guys gave me a little bit more. I mean, the fact that, like, I almost accidentally was in the same town as Bob Orton Jr. one time in college. (laughs) Sounds far more impressive than any of the stories you just laid out for me. Um, My second grade teacher saw Dale Earnhardt at a sitco. Hey, I cooked for Michael Jordan one time. That's uh, LeBron. Come on. Fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to Tan Bell Pod. I am Nick Alexander, live from my studio in Burbank, California. All the way over in a different time zone in the Manning Cave is Micah J. Loving. Hey, 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 hey. As well as the meat parading, title raising, tent beaten, low carb and trust fallen, funk moon salting, the people scout, Jake Manning. Uh, also low calorie because I don't eat very much at all. <laughs> not, not only do I not eat a lot of carbs, I don't eat a lot in general. <laughs> you are wow. withering away. Yes. Today, we have a bit of a sad story for you guys about someone who is one of the fastest rising indie stars of his era. He was wrestling royalty. He was the second coming of styling and profiling. He was Reed Flair. Richard Reed Flair was born February 26, 1988 in Charlotte, North Carolina. Reed was the youngest son of Rick and Elizabeth Fleer. He had a half-sister, Megan, half-brother, who was WCW's David Flair. And Reed was the younger brother of Ashley, who is one of my favorite wrestlers in the world, WWE's Charlotte Flair. There was no forcing Reed into the family business as he grew up a huge fan of pro wrestling. He loved guys like Arn Anderson, Dean Malenko, Roddy Piper, with his favorite wrestler, of course, being his dad, the nature boy, Ric Flair. Don't you mean Uncle Arn, Uncle Roddy, <laughs> and uh, Dean Malenko? <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know how close Dean Malenko is. You're like shitting a- on Dean like you're Chris Jericho over here. I'm not shitting on <laughs> Dean. I just don't think Dean hung out with like Flair socially. I, they're two completely different people. What part of the Iceman doesn't mean partying? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> the only ice that Ric Flair knows about is whatever's oh, in his kamikaze, you know? Also, uh, when Reed was pointing out his favorite wrestlers, he brought up Lord Steven Regal, which I was like, motherfucker knows his stuff. Reed went to Providence High School in Charlotte, North Carolina, as did the NBA's Antoine Jameson. I played basketball against Providence, and since Reed was just a year younger than I am. There's a chance he was there. Probably not, but you know, maybe. Reed was a pretty badass amateur wrestler, so he ended up his high school career at Blair Academy in New Jersey, who has a legendary wrestling team winning 31 consecutive national prep titles from 1981 to 2012. And even back then, everybody wanted to beat Ric Flair's son. Yeah. I think he says six or seven years old. Kids are slapping on the mat saying, beat Reed, beat Reed. Like he had a target on himself from the very beginning. Yeah. And there was a lot of like myths and like urban legends about the Flair kids 
in their high school years. Like I, I think there was even like an amateur match where Richie Steamboat and Reed squared off against each other, and like that was like a big deal. Was, yeah. There was there was a tournament or there was something where they were going to wrestle each other, and it was going to be like a big deal. And it but was, the rumors had high cross bodies and fucking yeah, exactly. <laughs> but like there, like there's just so much you know like anticipation for it for a high school. <laughs> wrestling match and and of course you know rick being there you know supporting his son a lot that, that's the thing too is it's not like reed was a, a basketball player and you know people are trying to dunk on him like okay we're well, gonna dunk on rick flair's son well okay <laughs> that's not I, what he does yeah it's not what he does <laughs> but like him being involved in professional being involved in wrestling when your dad's a professional wrestler that's very tough to carry in your back at, at all moments in time and you know that probably pushed him a considerable amount. But also, too, another thing that was very legendary about the Flair kids in high school, and I hear this from time to time to people who are longtime natives of Charlotte and people who went to school here in high school, other than you guys, of course, obviously, um, <laughs> is uh, people were like, man, I knew Ashley in high school or I knew Reed in high school, and we used to go over their house for parties. <laughs> And like, like Reed would like his, wear his dad's robes, and like <laughs> apparently, Damn. like Arn's son would be there too, and it would just be like, like all these kids because it was one of those situations where they were the type of parents who were like, "Hey, I don't want you out getting in trouble, but if you're here in my house, you you can have a few beers, you can have a few drinks, just don't drive anywhere. You're here all night. Yeah, you can just stay here all night." And then you'll be safe and you'll be fine. It was one of those types of parents, those type of households. So, like, I've run into many normal people and say, find out I'm a wrestler. They're like, oh, I used to hang out with <laughs> wow. Ashley at Ashley's parties. And I used to take out at Reed's house because of Reed's parties. And, it, you know, when I run into people that are roughly about that age or people not that age, it's like their parties were that legendary that people that were way older or way younger just ended up there for whatever <laughs> reason. So that was always kind of like the legend. And sometimes uh, every once in a while I'll bump into somebody like, yeah, I went to high school with them or I went to a party over the house one time. That was super cool. And I got to meet Ric Flair. Imagine going over to see your friend Reed from high school and Nature Boy opens up the door with a balloon tied to his dick. <laughs> Reed wouldn't have to wait very long to fulfill his dream of being a pro wrestler, making his debut in WCW at the age of 10 years old because they were giving out contracts to everyone. October 5th, 98, Eric Bischoff was cutting a promo saying some mean stuffs about Ric Flair. Uh, specifically called him a coward for not showing up that night. And then Eric was interrupted by Arn Anderson, whose mic was not wired into the live feed because WCW. Arn said that a flare was there and then walked in just a wee tot of a flare, Reed in an amateur wrestling singlet, rocking that sweet 90s bowl cut. Which Bobby Heenan showed no shame by even calling him out, saying, look at the Mo Howard hairdo. <laughs> Reed and Eric exchanged some words with Arn monitoring the situation. Before Reed took Eric down twice, he does some Ric Flair taunts and gets a big pop from the crowd. Those takedowns are pretty fucking good. I've watched enough uh, UFC bullshit and he gets a single leg and then he gets a double leg and he smashes the fuck out of it down into the mat. So they go to a commercial, and when they come back, Eric is bitching and moaning in the ring. When Papa Flair's music hits, he comes down to the ring. That brings out the NWO, who is cleared out by the four horsemen with Reed tagging along. David Flair hops in from the crowd. It's a very nice, touching Flair family moment. Can we exclude Mongo just on principle? <laughs> yes. No, fuck you, Mongo. <laughs> I'm a Mongo apologist. Oh, God, I'm quitting no! the fucking podcast. Yeah, that, that's, Jesus. that's too As much. a presence, as a character, uh, as a person, as a manner, is all that. Uh, I'm just saying, you want a great wrestler, uh, but sometimes you don't fucking don't have to be. I, I guess it's, it's you know, there's certain actors, they just, they stand there and they draw attention. Yeah, and he... I he mean, did, Mongo didn't draw attention, but he stood there. No, he fucking drew attention <laughs> to fucking 14-year-old Jake Manning, I'll tell you that much. It's when he tried to do uh, tilt the world head scissors and... Other stuff. That's where he needed to That's not That's when do. I'd at least say, hey, fuckers, he's trying it. He's you keep a punch and kick, Mongo's going to be all right. <laughs> Three-point stance? Hmm. Well, for the subscribers we still have left, uh, <laughs> Reed would be back in the WCW ring on May 31st, 2000, on an episode of WCW Thunder in Boise, Idaho, for a swerve, bro. First time he shows up, <laughs> 10 years old. Two years later, bro, comes back. Check this. 
12 years old. People aren't going to see it coming. I don't like how well you're doing the impersonation. <laughs> Early in the night, Ric Flair comes out with Reed and his wife, Beth, to cut a promo. This brings out Russo and his R&B security team. Russo has David Flair with him, who had turned on Ric Flair at the Great American Bash. Rick calls Russo a mark and a chicken shit with no boss, which popped the crowd and Nick Alexander. They eventually get to a challenge, David and Vince versus Rick and Reed. Later, they'd have the actual match. Part of it was Rick promising to stay out of, out of the ring for just three minutes. So Reed locks up with Vince Russo, also hitting him with some double leg and single legs. And you watch it, I don't mean to harp on it, but just to give Reed lots of fucking props at such a young age, it is a work, but when he does them, you realize that he could get them in a shoot. Yeah, and I remember from Ric Flair's shoot interview that we did at High Spots, he talks very highly of Russo and Bischoff for treating his family so well. Uh, you know, this is r- ridiculous and silly, but he, he's yeah, like, he's just like, you know what, Vince Russo and Bischoff, they, they treated my family with the utmost of respect. And when they used them on the show, they were nice, they were respectful, and they were willing to do whatever they needed to do and did their utmost to make them look as good as possible. This whole thing ends when David puts Reed in the figure four, and while he's in the figure four, Vince Russo pins him for the three count. Reed would be back one more time, June 12, 2000, for the iconic rematch, Reed Rick, Russo Dave 2. A good benchmark for how stressful WCW was to run is we just saw Bischoff in 98, jet black hair looking like Rob Lowe in Wayne's World. <laughs> Two years later, he's cutting a promo completely gray. <laughs> <laughs> but we're number one. We're number one. Everything kind of goes down exactly like the last match. Russo comes down to the ring with David Flair. They cut a promo. Rick answers. They issue a challenge that eventually leads to Rick Flair and Reed Flair against David Flair and Vince Russo. But later, they have a match, I guess. Rick gets David in a figure four, and Russo jumps in and just wails on him with a bat it is it is graphic as rick gets beat down reed's selling and screaming of when he is taking all the punishment is fucking good man reed is in the moment he means it you can feel his heart he's a hell of a little actor even into such a young age eventually the like the entire flair family gets into the ring you get to see a young ashley russo tries to hit rick with this gimmicked uh statue of liberty where the bottom just crumbles kind of and it makes like a big <laughs> dust explosion but russo grabbed the fucking statue from the bottom so it just disintegrates in his hand He's so, so he just starts hitting he him with the plastic part it's <sighs> it's it's something Shane Douglas is on commentary, and he gets to scream, Ric Flair's career is over. I figure that's a long-term goal of Shane Douglas. Yeah, that's a good point. So they eventually shave Rick's hair. They even buzz reeds a little. And then in less than a year, WCW closes forever. Well, you know, it's funny, though. There's a famous story through something to wrestle and and other podcasts and even Flair Shooter Interview is when Rick was going through all that stuff with WCW, WWE ran a pay-per-view in Greensboro, and they were going to bring in Rick and Reed, and they were going to have somebody come down to ringside and say that we have a very famous North Carolina wrestling champion sitting in the front row. And of course, Rick is in the shot, but then they walk over to Reed and interview Reed <laughs> nice. just to kind of like stick it to WCW. And, you know, they were thinking of whether they can do that legally. You know, he would obviously have to buy a ticket. So he'd be a fan going to the show and for them to do that, but also kind of stick it to WCW. So if they did that and then Flair reconciled with WCW, essentially Reed could have made his WWE and WCW debut before he was ever 14 years old. Wow. Think about that. After taking eight years to wash the Russo off of him, in 2008, Reed was trained by the late, great Harley Race, who we just lost, RIP. Reed would make his adult wrestling debut December 6, 2008, at High Spots Presents the Nature Boy Ric Flair and the Immortal Hulk Hogan in Charlotte, North Carolina. Right after Ricky Steamboat Jr. beat Jake Manning with a flying crossbody, Reed teamed up with his brother David to take on the Nasty Boys with Hulk Hogan as special guest ref. Sorry, I want to rewind a little bit. Sorry, I want to rewind a little bit. Sorry, I want to rewind a little bit. 
we, he gets trained by Harley Race. I mean, do we want to touch on that now? But just like, you know, I, I think I'll try this out. I'll get one of the greatest of all fucking time to train me. Well, Reed received a lot of training from a lot of people. I can't remember if he went directly to Harley's right away, but I, he definitely took some bumps with George and took some classes with George. Also, too, Rick did a lot of training with Reed. You know, you just mentioned the, the High Spot show that happened December of 2008. Well, that December show in 2008 was the last of six scheduled appearances that HighSpots.com had scheduled with Rick because once Rick left the WWE and he was on the market as a free agent, everybody was clamoring to get him because Ric Flair was seen as like the guy to get as far out as autograph appearances and wrestling shows and other things because we're not too far past nostalgia kick that came in around 2005, 2006. We're a little bit removed, but everybody, when they were doing those in 2006 and even 2007, they're like, man, if we could only get Rick to do these shows for like these legend shows that are happening all the time where Rock and Roll Express is fighting Midnight Express. It's like, man, if we could just get Rick. Well, when Rick became available, everybody was clamoring to get him. And of course, RF was trying to get the shooter interview. All these other companies were trying to get the shooter interviews and all these other things. But with a unique thing that High Spots was able to do is we were able to wrap in this big package deal where we could give Rick a larger dollar amount, which is much more attractive. But it included six appearances. It included a deal that we get to license and make a shirt of him. Mm. We also get autographs. We also get to film the shooter interview and some more autograph pieces as well. Damn. So it was a pretty penny, but everybody was... Uh, we can't get a ballpark number out of Six you? figures. Six figures. Right. I believe it was six figures, and but everybody thinks we paid six figures for the shooter interview. That's not the case. We, we paid for all of that. And also, too, some of those appearances we licensed out to other people. Because we knew what the value was of the, the shooter interview, the value of these t-shirts, the value hmm. of the autograph. So we priced the appearances roughly a, a little less to what his normal appearance fee is. And then we had some people pay us. So some of those appearances were done through CWA out of Orangeburg and Columbia and also VCW out of Virginia. Well, I mean, Rick is Rick. How do you base a price on anything that you don't, I mean... Who do you base a price on when you're dealing with Rick? Because well, his appearance fee, like he had he had appearances fees, and but he like had, the and licensing. I mean, uh, it was just like, hey, we want to put your likeness on a shirt, and this is the shirt we're going to use, and all that stuff. And right. it's obviously his likeness, so let us do this. Gotcha. So like, the value of that was be a little less, so that was like kind of gravy as well. And we sold those at all of the the appearances. Now the ones that we did ourselves, we did one in Jacksonville, North Carolina, which drew several hundred people, but not a thousand. And that was one of the first ones, and that should have drawn a thousand. Yeah. We also did one in Raleigh, North Carolina, that only drew three hundred people. I mean, this is still during a day where we're putting up posters in gas stations. Right. This is before Facebook is a real thing. I, mean, I think MySpace is still kicking around, but like the social, idea, yeah, right. the idea of like social media, Twitter, Facebook ads, YouTube is still very, very new to a lot of things. Like it's not as prominent as it is today it's door-to-door still Uh, yeah it was still very door-to-door very much getting local sponsors getting local businesses even newspaper local newspapers were required Uh, radio was used in a lot of these and obviously it was culminating in an appearance here in charlotte now like i said everybody's kind of met rick through the years and uh not all those uh memories of rick are quite as favorable if you remember the show that they had in December was at Vance High School. There was talk of getting Providence High School, which is where Reed went to school. They would not allow the show to happen there because apparently Rick promised the wrestling team <laughs> that he would pay for the wrestling mats. They went ahead and order them. They hand Rick the bill and he goes, I'm not paying that. <laughs> so they're like, oh yeah, we're not going to give you the gym for free. Wow. But Vance High School was willing to do that because they're going to get a good deal on concessions. And during that time, Hulk Hogan was going through a divorce. Uh, Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair were talking a lot, you know, because they're both like upper tier guys that are free from Vince McMahon's control. Hulk is making his own deals. He's got his Hogan Knows Best TV show and he's making his own deals and he's, he's carving his way through this new emerging media empire that is himself. And Rick is trying to do this himself because he's always been on the umbrella of WCW or WWE, and now he's out there for himself. So 
Hulk and Rick are getting very close just because of business at this time. Also during this time, it just happens to be when you had Richie Steamboat getting into training. Dylan Eaton, Bobby Eaton's son, is getting into training. Uh, Lady Tappa, who is the Barbarian's niece. So there's a lot of second generation <laughs> nice. wrestlers that are around and, and they're wrestling. And obviously Reed has an interest as well, which brings us back to the whole original thing. Like there were times at the office because we had such a good working relationship with Rick and Reed wanted to train and he was in town. Basically, we had to be on call at all hours of the day during the work hours. Because Rick would call and be like, hey, I'm going to be over there in an hour. Because we had a ring set up at the office. <laughs> so all of us would have to stop working just so we could train Reed. Wow. So there were, there were days where I would have, Rick would place that call in. I would hurry up and get my wrestling gear on with my boots and I'd be ready to train. And I'd just be sitting there editing at the editing bay, waiting for <laughs> Rick to shit. show up. And then Rick would show up, we'd stretch a little bit and we'd wrestle for an hour. But he'd say he'd be there at two and then sometimes it ended before. Sometimes he'd say he'd be there in an hour, wouldn't show up at all. Sometimes he said he'd show I mean, so they were like, it was very hit or miss, but like, you know, some days it was there. And I'll tell you what, the days that Rick was there, they were incredible. Yeah. Like, Ric Flair is an amazing trainer. He is incredible. He is able to transfer the knowledge that he has to people. He may not have the patience to build somebody up from day one, step one, but there were things that he says that I still say to students every single day. And one of the first things that I do at the beginning of the class is something that we used to do at the beginning of every training session with Rick. And he's incredible. One of the best. Just learning about artists in general just over time you learn about these people that are so fucking great at something but they can't teach it they can't translate it and it's just just to hear one of the greats can is always like yep that's that's good to hear he can but for like a, a different level like it, it, it hit more so with me than maybe it did Reed at the time mm. but you know Reed was getting a lot of stuff thrown at him what happens yeah. what happens a lot when you have somebody like a name and it happened a lot with Tessa is that you know like oh this is Rick's kid. I want to put my belt on him. So that way when he goes off and is successful, you know, I made him a champion. Then he remembers me on the back end and they basically just promote you and elevate you so they could exploit you. You know, that's what a lot of people were looking to do. And Rick was trying to protect that as much as possible. And a lot of people wanted to book, you know, Richie Steamboat versus Reed. And those guys sat down together. Like, we don't want to do that until we're ready and our matches can be up to the level of our fathers or at least competitive or not embarrass the legacy of our fathers, but also to make some money off of it. Yeah, it makes sense because everybody's just trying to exploit that as much as possible. And I, I think that was, that's something I learned a lot with Reed and Richie people who were just like, they would want to put their belt on them or, or book them on the show or put them in their main event and exploit them right away when they weren't ready for it and just use them up. And then just so they could say, Oh, I did this or I was nice to you then. And you know, we always were trying to, Pull them back, keep them safe. Remember that this person's been wrestling for a year. Remember they've been wrestling for six months and, and kind of rein them in and put them in that perspective as opposed to you're the son of one of the greatest professional wrestlers of all time. And Reed even touches on that on the short little interviews. We'll get into it more, but he wanted to make it a point that he wants to build up. He doesn't want the immediate shit. He wants to learn it by the ropes. And when it came time for the December show, tickets were a little bit slow. I'm not going to lie. I don't understand. Ric Flair, Hulk Hogan. Like, well, but they didn't, we, didn't, we didn't announce Hulk Hogan yet. Oh. They were slow. But still. And then Rick's like, well, we've done multiple of these. So Rick, Rick was talking to Hulk, and Hulk wanted to come in because, like I said, he's going through a divorce. He just wanted to be around wrestlers. <laughs> I want to get out. Pretty much. That's pretty much what he did. So, like, you want to have Hulk Hogan at your show? And we did, and we put him all over the, the TV commercial. We ran it during Raw for two or three weeks. Wow. And we promoted as much as possible but then we were all worried what if Hulk Hogan shows up and he goes where's some of that cheese brother and this is December December is very close to Christmas bonus time at high spots so I'm afraid Hulk Hogan's gonna walk off in red and yellow <laughs> with my Christmas bonus but luckily Hulk Hogan cool as shit yeah. amen yeah cool as fucking shit he showed up and all he wanted was Miller Lite in the fucking locker room <laughs> nice. of a high school gym which we made happen <laughs> He raft, took pictures with everybody. I'll never forget, like, I had to work the the merch table at the front, basically right up until the show started, which was fine. I was, like, second to last or 
some main or whatever i was later in the show and me and richie kind of already gone over what we were going to do anyways and i get to the back and hulk hogan's in the locker room and i'm the same locker room as hulk hogan and i'm just getting changed and whatever <laughs> and i'm trying to stay out of everybody's way and hulk hogan walks over to me i'm like what do i do and he walks over to me he goes what's going on brother my name's terry <laughs> and i'm like holy shit I thought he was going to come over and yell at me. What he did when he was walking over, he just saw another wrestler, somebody he didn't see. Uh-huh. He just wanted to go over and induce himself to another fellow professional wrestler. That's why fucking Hulk Hogan is cool as shit. <laughs> at the end of the night, Michael had an envelope of a dollar amount that's definitely not worth what it would cost to bring in Hulk Hogan, but right, it was right. almost like a thank you. Yeah. And so at the end of the night, everybody was all out of the bar, some restaurant or whatever. And my boss was like, hey, you know, Hulk, we did advertise you and use you on the show. I just want to give this to you as a thank you. And Hulk's like, no, brother, keep it. Just make sure you pay for my bar tab tonight. Fuck. Wow. That's why fucking Hulk Hogan is cool as shit, guys. I really didn't expect that swerve. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Fucking. That turn in the story. I thought, I don't know what I thought, but it wasn't Hulk rejecting money. No, fucking (laughs) Hulk's a good fucking dude. Came in and like sold that show out made it a great atmosphere great fucking moment with reed david and rick all in that that figure four and you know i think tmz was there and it was just super fucking cool i actually got to go to this show and it was i think i it was right after uncc i think i might have just graduated from stupid uncc which for anybody listening don't get a four-year degree it's fucking pointless i'm doing a podcast right now I went there with my best friend, Mitch, who I mentioned before, and my roommate, Casey. And it was one of those surreal moments like Ric Flair, Hulk Hogan, Jimmy Hart, Nasty Boys, because those names still all meant something, too. And then Reed and David debuting with Rick as their manager. I mean, it was like, is this fucking real? We got there. I remember uh, walking by George South and even getting goosebumps off that. I remember walking by uh, Rick as he was doing it. He was like, hey, Rick. And he shook my fucking hand. And that was me kind of half drunk going to the bathroom and then going back to my roommates. So when I got up there, I was just marking. I was like, I just fucking shook Ric Flair's hand. Do you want to touch my hand? Because I just fucking shook Ric Flair. I remember there was an intermission. My best friend, Mitch, his now wife brought us more alcohol and we drank it in the parking lot during intermission because that's how fucking awesome Courtney is. And then we went back in. It, it was fucking, they put on like a 25, 30 minute match. And it was, it was one of those moments where you get to take part in a small show with the names that are humongous and it doesn't feel real. Well, it's funny that you said that you drank out in the parking lot because <laughs> you weren't the only one that night <laughs> at the end of the night when it's all said and done. Like, like we're talking about how marvelous and fantastic this night is. Keep in mind, this is like every single night with Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair. <laughs> yeah, it's true. And, how are they alive? And it doesn't it doesn't mean nothing to them. You know, it's like it's it's whatever. This is just another day at the office and it's whatever. And the fact that this is high school doesn't mean anything either because at the end of the night, you know, like I said, there was some Miller Light in the high school locker room. <laughs> for a request Hulk Hogan and the athletic directors didn't seem to mind. But uh Ric Flair didn't seem to care when he walked out of the high school. With an open beer, uh, walked past the police officer, got in his car, and drove away and waved goodbye to the officer, I can only imagine, with the hand that had the beer in it, and then drove off. And the police officer that saw all this go down just looked over and said, oh, nature boy. (laughs) Like, that's... Uh, That says it all. uh, But, like... As much as we laugh about it, it just it's, goes uh, to show, fuck. like, the the mere celebrity mm-hmm. that the Flair name has in Charlotte, North Carolina, for good or even for bad. Your match with Ricky Steamboat Jr. is really fucking good. Watching it, rewatching it two weeks ago, I was like, man, it's intense and stiff, and I thought Ricky died on that one dive. But a weird thing that me and my best friend Mitch had is the referee, Jonathan Hall. We got to that thing where we would cheer for Jonathan before the shows because we were just smart mark assholes, but he was legitimately so fucking good, we called ourselves the Hallmarks. <laughs> we would cheer for the ourselves, and j- enough shows Jonathan would like point us out, but Jonathan refed your fucking match for you and Ricky. I haven't seen him anymore, and I just, do, you, do you know what happened to Jonathan Hall? Because I've, I've looked it up, I've gone on Twitter like, he got a great picture with Hulk Hogan when Hulk Hogan had the referee shirt on. He could have 
been a referee for TNA. The Hepners loved him. No. But I threw a box at his head just, <laughs> as, a, just as a joke, like an empty box. I just kind of like, ah, like like boys playing around. And he said, fuck this. And he left Aww. right before he was supposed to drive up to a TNA show and be a referee on a TNA show and probably get a job as a referee, TNA referee. But at the same time, too, if you can't handle Jake Manning throwing an empty box at you, <laughs> you weren't going to fucking make it through Bully Ray. Jonathan Hall, if you're out there listening to this, you're fucking amazing. And I, I only reason I threw an empty box at because I was just joking around. I was just, I was just playing around. Like, hey. I would have done that shit to fucking Caleb. I'm sure his story is a lot different, Jake. <laughs> I just, he wasn't looking. I was like, ah, it's bad. As cool as those stories are, there's a lot of bad things that were also happening in Reed's life around this time. Reed had a series of events that a lot of people, I've seen them label it as a, a cry for attention from his dad. Some say a cry for help. No matter what you want to call them, they were huge warning signs that were all sadly ignored. June 23rd, 2007, Reed was arrested for assault and battery. This is 2007. That has to put him at like 17, 18. So I'd imagine it was just some fight. I couldn't find anything about it. March 4th, 2009, Reed was arrested for a DUI in Mecklenburg County, which is a much more serious crime, which leads to... One of the biggest ones, Reed was arrested April 26, 2009. He crashed his car, driving intoxicated, and police found in that car black tar heroin, and he faced felony charges. He was charged with driving while impaired, driving with a revoked license, and possession of drug paraphernalia. He was released after a $15,000 bail, and you really just wish this would have been rock bottom. I remember this time, too, because I knew him about the time, you know, before the DUI and then during the time of DUI and, you know, me being a guy that was notorious for probably having a few too many beers. Um, I was like, okay, well, you just happened to get caught and this was happening. Maybe I needed to also take an examination of my, you know, drinking habits as well. But then when he has an incident where black tar heroin is found, oh, fuck. that's... Very serious. And uh, these things came up at a very crucial time in Reed's career and could have changed a lot of things for the Flair family, better or even for worse. I don't know. The time that this arrest in April happened, it had already been kind of discussed because at, at the show in December in 2008, I had that really good match with Richie Steamboat. And, um, after that show happened, a lot of people were talking about, you know, how good Richie looked and like, oh, Richie could be just as good as his dad. But obviously, you know, Reed was just a couple months behind Richie and he still needed some more time to develop. And Rick was like, why doesn't my, why hasn't my son developed that far? But, it, but they just started at different times. Like Reed, Reed's going to get there eventually, you know, and Reed had a lot of bookings coming up with Northeast Wrestling and a lot of opportunities to wrestle me. And a lot of times it ended up that way because like Rick told Michael Bikikio, the owner of High Spots, he was like, why can't you do for Reed what you guys did for Richie? And Michael's like, well, I mean, Richie's here every Tuesday training with George South. You know, if Reed wants to come every Tuesday and train with George and get more ring time, he'll get better. And, you know, we can take him out on the road because like I would always go out of my way to get Richie to like, hey, come on, get in the car with me. And then I was kind of known as a guy that, you know, made Richie look good. Like, I remember that's how I first got in with Northeast Wrestling was because uh, Richie Steamboat needed an opponent. And I wrestled him over a weekend and, and had some good matches. And I did the same for Reed as well. And, you know, so I started to be really good friends with Reed and, and had some chemistry with him. All the times that Rick would be coming in and training with us. And at that time, like I said, you know, Rick was becoming really close friends with Hulk Hogan. And Hogan Knows Best was a big, big show. And they were developing a Ric Flair version of Hogan's Knows Best. I think the name batted around was Flair's Family. I've heard a different name, but they were going to do a reality show with Ric Flair because obviously like, well, this Hulk Hogan reality show was successful. Ric Flair is going to be just as successful and they're going to have the family and, and film everybody. And it was going to start with Reed wrestling in Florida and I was going to be his opponent. And Rick pulled me aside and, and told me this. And, and he wanted me and Reed to go over the spots and how this match was going to go. And me and Reed were, you know, getting our chemistry down. And we were going to wrestle this match in Florida. And Brooke Hogan was going to just happen to be there. 
and then like Reed was gonna hit on Brooke, and then the two fathers were gonna go at it. <laughs> like it was gonna be all set up, like you know, reality, reality shows yeah, are. But that reality. was gonna that was gonna be the thing that kind of spun off into a thing. And I remember clearing my calendar because like Rick was very vague about it. He goes, "I want you to come down to Miami with me. Uh, we're gonna have a good time. We're gonna be there for about a week." to film some stuff and they're gonna wrestle and you bought a speedboat oh I'm, it was, it, that <laughs> would that, my, would, that my... would have been one piece of information too much like he he didn't he didn't discuss anything more than what he just said so i was like okay well i guess i'm going to florida i'm wrestling and he was he was gonna tell me in like two weeks and i'm like okay great well i don't have any flight info i'll just wait around for it and all this was supposed to happen and i'm like oh, i don't hear anything back and then i started hearing about this and for a while i kind of felt like maybe rick is bullshitting me and it wasn't till like probably three years ago, two years ago, maybe I was doing a comedy show at Jackie Knight's comedy club in St. Augustine, Florida. And one of the comedians there was a PA for like, I think pink shoes media or pink shoes production <laughs> house. The people that produced Hogan knows best. And he recognized me some from some of the early footage that they recorded wow. while we were training with Reed. And he goes, man, we had such high hopes for that show because, <laughs> you know, Hogan knows best was going to be good. But with Rick, oh, man, that was going to be even better. And they had this whole reality show mapped out and the things they were going to do. They'd already filmed some B-roll footage and some footage of Flair, like running training and training us and all kinds of stuff. And it was going to be this big thing. And I was going to be on this reality show with Reed. And then... This incident comes up and then it's never discussed again. And then they realize that they need to focus more on getting Reed's life back together. Damn. And what's even funnier is one of the arresting officers or one of the officers that was around in the police station when Rick came to pick up Reed. I, I have never been able to figure this out, but actually I think it might have been one of the arresting officers or one of the people that showed up as like backup, you know, in a situation like this, there's multiple officers that show up. One of those officers that showed up actually ended up being a woman I ended up dating months yeah. later. And it was it really fucking weird. I think I've heard jokes about this on stage. Yeah, it's very, <laughs> very weird that this woman who was involved in this arrest of Reed was a woman I ended up dating. Also, too, she's the same woman who pulled over Matt Hardy for speeding on his way to a training seminar at the High Spots Wrestling School the first month I was here in Charlotte, North Carolina. So basically, when I dated this woman, uh, she thought wrestlers were trash. So, uh, yeah. So she was definitely the type of girl who was like, I'm going to fix him. Yeah. <laughs> or like uh, forcefully fix him. <laughs> that sounds hot. So then after that, it was just like, we're always just concerned, like, is, is Reed going to make it to the show? Because now it's more than just like, he's going to have a few beers and got behind the wheel and got a DUI. That's very serious, but you can correct you know, you can make that mistake once and people will be forgiving. But the second mistake, you know, they won't be so forgiving. And he, this ended up happening. And, of course, this is during the time where black tar heroin is very prevalent in the Charlotte area and a lot of areas across Just the upper country. Class, upper middle upper, class. Upper, yeah. upper middle class kids getting hooked on black tar heroin. This was just a really awful time. And, like, he was really kind of struggling with it. And I'd hear these stories I'm not going to share, share them on the podcast, but I remember like pulling him aside one day, probably it was like a Northeast wrestling show, like training or somewhere or some random indie show or whatever. And I, I remember telling him, I was like, Hey man, if you just want to like hang out and have a few beers, there's a bar just a few blocks away that like, if we get too drunk, we can walk back home to my house. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm not going to do all that other shit. But if you want to get drunk and bird dog some chicks and be obnoxious, <laughs> you want to get fucked up. Like I'll be your I'll be your huckleberry on this one. <laughs> like you don't need to do that other stuff because like just think about Lyric Reed's whole life. Probably experimented with narcotics way younger than he should have, and probably that person who was giving it to him was like, "You're Ric Flair's son. Come of on, course, you you know your course. dad would have done it. Your dad would have done twice as much as everybody else." And then he goes, "Yeah, my dad would," you know, and just having those people push him to that level and people push him to something he didn't need need to do just because his dad has his reputation of being a partier and i just i remember seeing that and i'm just I, I i i mean i tried i gave him my number i was like man you just want to hang out i'll go pick you up wherever you are because i know you can't drive 
So I'll come hang out with you. If you want to try, if you want to go to a nicer part of town, I'll find something nice to put on. We'll go there. <laughs> but if you want to go to a bar where you can be obnoxious, have some food, and walk back home and sleep it off the next day, I'll hang out with you. And I and, and there was like a moment there where I think he was gonna take me up on it. And I, God damn, I wish he would have, because I think we I think we could have just we've been some you know real good friends that way. But just on the case, I just that's what throws me off. Like, Rick is known as a partier, but it's been primarily drinking, right? I mean, like, I never heard hardcore drug use. Maybe I missed the fucking stories, but I mean... Well, you look at some of those promos, they're like, oh, he's... he's okay, like, oh, cocaine. God. Yeah, cocaine. I'm saying, like... But, I mean, I as bad as cocaine is, heroin is, you know, the fucking top of the top. But if you if, if everybody in a party community is taking yeah, black tar heroin, yeah, you're right. and they're like, you know, come on, you don't you want to party, right? Yeah. And it just... It's just a matter of circumstances. But, like, I Fuck. remember so many times, like, Rick would, you know, be sending Reed off to rehab. And there'd always be the, this thing of, like, something would happen. And, and then I think something happened where it, like, affected his leg. And it was, like, physically paralyzed him in a, in a portion of his leg. Fuck. Like, like, it was, like, he had some bad ODs, man. Like, it was, it was getting gnarly. It was getting bad. And we all tried to be there as much as possible. But then you get these moments... These like little glimmers of, of like hope, you know. He'd be at a show, and he would do a lot of like local shows. Like you, he'd do a lot of XWW shows. He'd do a lot of like Trans South shows in South Carolina, and you know, OSCW was is actually where I wrestled him back in uh, 2011. It was, it was I think it was around Hanahan, South Carolina, somewhere. Of course, I'm known as the guy that puts over the second generation star. <laughs> So they put me in there with Reed. And I remember when Reed first started, when I first would wrestle Reed, like in Northeast Wrestling, he was trying to, like, I don't want to do that because my dad did it, you know? Because he looked at what David did and he felt like David copied a lot of what his father did. And he was trying to be different, but he didn't know where, where he wanted to go or what he wanted to do. He did some William Regal stuff. So it is true that he had an influence there. He was always trying to do something fancy wrestling wise. He was trying to figure something out. And then when I wrestled him in 2011, after like, ODs and I read that he had three ODs in the span of two years, according to police reports. Like yeah. fuck, I was like looking stuff up. No, it was bad, but that was just like fuck, man. Yeah, we always just feel like there was there was something and something, and then like it just felt like it was almost like a punchline, and it was really sucked. So when I came to him again in 2011, I was like, "What do you want to do?" He goes, "Oh, I'm just doing all my dad's stuff because I know it works." And I'm like, well, okay, well, we could do all that, but is there anything else new or anything you want to try? So I was like, oh, how about this or how about that? So, like, I was just there for him and supportive for him. And I'll tell you what, we had a good good match. Oh, it was, man. I looked awful. That singlet I wore was horrible, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> so, Blinded by the white, I yeah. believe is they called it. Yeah, I, I was still figuring out the Man Scout character. I wish uh, you could look back at that match and I would have better gear. But <laughs> You uh, had the book? You were reading out of the book? You were doing, you know? I was doing, I was, the, the, it was proto. Still yeah. proto Man Scout, even though I'd been doing it for four years. I still hadn't figured <laughs> it out yet. Um, but I remember having that match and, and like, I remember him just being there for everything and listening and coming up with them and just being there for all the spots. And I think we wrestled for a while. I don't, I don't know. I think it was about 12 to 15. Yeah, it was like a 12, 15 match, but it wasn't like an 8 or 10 or a 6. No, or eight. it was solid. It, it, was, solid. It, was, it was right there Especially in the middle. for a smaller. Yeah, you know, it was, it was some time. It wasn't like a 20-minute or a 30-minute match, but it was right there yeah. a little bit more than usual. You had breathing room. Yeah, and I just remember like having that match and then just being like, man. This is the kid that, that that should be out there, you know. And I, I, this was like obviously social media kind of developed and Facebook had kind of become a thing. And I remember just thinking about it because I was driving back home from South Carolina, and I actually pulled over on the side of the road and I made this Facebook post, you know, like I know there's a lot of things said about Reed Flair, but I just wrestled him tonight and he was incredible. And any promoter that gets an opportunity to book him, you should. He's he's so professional. He's great in the ring. He's a, a welcome addition to any locker room that you're going to have him in, and you got to book him. He's he's definitely definitely worth it, or something along those lines. Like, and I don't put people over on Facebook. I don't or social media. And I hate that. I hate it when people do that. I like it when people do that for me, though. I do appreciate that. But like, I hate that whole like after you have a match with that person, you put him over. But I just felt like. People had said so many bad things about him that somebody needed to step up and say something good about him. And I remember him hopping in the ring truck with me for a show, another show in South Carolina where we had to do the ring 
And I think I wrestled Scotty too hotty that night. And <laughs> Reed just wanted an opportunity to just wrestle on the show. And we kind of could just make the card. All they, all they wanted was Scotty too hotty on the show. And <laughs> That's then, what they're paying for. Yeah. And then, and then pretty much anybody else could be anybody else. So like I was like, Reed, if you want to show up early and be in the ring truck, you can come down with me and we can set up the ring and you can be on the show. And he goes, yeah. And sure, sure enough, he showed up early. He didn't show up late. He got in the ring truck, helped set up the ring. He went and found a broom himself and started sweeping out the ring. And I remember just, like, if I had a camera phone, I would have took a picture of it. Because I just remember just standing there watching this. And and this is, like, this is probably at the deepest time of people just, like, seeing Reed as a punchline. And I just remember, like, like I said, if I had a camera phone, I would have took a picture of it, I would have put it on Instagram. And I just would have, like, this is the Reed flair that I want the world to see. This kid set up the ring and was sweeping it out and just just so he could wrestle on the show that night. I think he wrestled like the second match or whatever, but yeah. he was just happy to be there and happy to be around professional wrestling. And I just just fucking wish we would have got more of that kid. And I wish we would have had he just would have like said, Fuck all this dumb shit, fuck all this barding and just focus on that. And I think there were times where he did. But something would always fucking happen. And anytime you felt like you had him at that point, you know, you're like, okay, he's been humbled. He's here. He's he's focused on this. Like there are times when you would wrestle for XWW or like PWX or there's multiple times you would come in and it's like, okay, Reed's back and he's focused on professional wrestling. And yes, this is going to be the moment where, where it comes around, you know? And he was always, always a blast to hang out with too. Like I'll never forget I was at one show somewhere, I think in Gastonia, North Carolina. And it was at an armory. And of course, like like everybody, they, they try to exploit the flair name and they, they always try to do their own version of the four horsemen. Yeah. And they, they put Reed in there and oh. Reed, Reed's like in there and then what, whoever the big heel is or whatever it is. And he was doing that with somebody and they were cutting a promo second or third on the show and I was wrestling fourth or third or whatever and he was like right before me and of course he was a big heel as part of this big promo and like had to leave the ring you know and be cool as shit and i'll never forget like where we were changing and where the entrance was was like this side room in an armory and it was like these double doors and he was the last one to come through the door and he just kind of slammed the door like a real like thinking he was like a real big cool guy and what ended up happening is the doors are supposed to be like flush well, he swung the door so hard that one of the doors got put on the inside of the other door, so I couldn't open either of the doors. <laughs> he was trapped. We were all trapped. <laughs> we were all trapped, and I was the heel of the next match, and nobody could open the double doors to go out for the match. And I'm like, what thing? Like I, was, I couldn't get out. I couldn't get out. I couldn't get out. And there was a side door, but it was like the long way around. My music's already playing. I'm trying to open the door, and I look at Reed like, "What you do to the door?" And like Reed looked right at me, and swear to God, like just like his old man, he just he just I'm sorry. Like it just like it was. I was like, "What? That's the like that's the kid I love." And I, I like when he said as soon as he said that, I couldn't get mad. I'm sorry. I, just like it, it sounded just like his dad, and I was just like, "Man, I get it." <laughs> I, I, I get why people allowed Rick to just do so much dumb shit and then he would just be like I'm sorry and, it, you, you, and your heart just fucking melt for the kid and yeah I just that's that's what that's what I think of when I when I think of Reed Flair I just want to say you put him over on social media you said but if you watch the video you put the fuck over him on the mic to the crowd and get a great response and... oh, I, I don't remember doing that oh yeah, yeah are you yeah, serious yeah. no I don't, I don't remember that have you not rewatched it no because that, that singlet is awful, man. <laughs> hey, man, bland, blinded by the white. It was worth it for that line. But no, you, uh, you're you about to walk off. You grab the mic. You basically, uh, the essence of the promo is you just get in that ring, get in that ring, get in that ring, and you'll get better. You'll get better day after day after day. And you even tie it all in beautiful. It's like, and that's a scout's honor. And the best part, you sell your fucking leg walking out because you lost by figure four. Cutting that great heartfelt promo where you chum up to the guy who beat you and you're still, ah, ah, my fucking leg. And I was, uh, I had, <laughs> go back, dude, the, you can't hear it too good, but the, the bits you get, you can, if you focus, you put him over hard in that promo, man. 
So I went on YouTube and I just, I typed in Reed Flair and I just watched every single little indie match I could. Nine minutes, two parts, every little bit. And I think the one to search out is Eric Adams versus Reed Flair. They really, it was the best one that I saw. It was like back and forth. There's good little bits of psychology. Reed gets an advantage. Eric gets an advantage. It was the match that really gave me the idea like, yeah, fuck. With the right tutelage and the commitment, Reed could have turned into something good. All right, so, you know, that's Reed and his time in the American Indies, which is, I think that's something cool about Reed is that he could have just used the Flair name to get into the WWE developmental system. He, I think Rick was at TNA at the time, easily could have hopped on to TNA, but he, like, wanted to do it, you know? He wanted to wrestle the Indies, wrestle George South shows, wrestle Northeast Wrestling, and get experience and not go out there and just embarrass himself and that led to in late 2012 it was reported that reed had started training with all japan wrestling reed would make his in-ring debut january 26 2013 when he replaced his sick dad in a tag team match between tatsumi fujinami and sanda with keiji moto and the replacement reed I think it's a good match. Both teams put each other in figure fours with Rick just standing at, at ringside like, can you stop making my finisher look like shit? Uh, <laughs> Reed hits a solid-ass double-A spine buster, and then uh, the match ends with Sanda submitting Reed for the win. The one thing I like about his spine buster is you can see the wrestling pedigree in it because when he does it, he really drives him in, and you can it's, you can see the amateur when he really pile drives him into the fucking mat. You go to Japan and you team with the fucking great Muda uh-huh. against <laughs> Tatsumi Fujinami. What the fuck, man? Like, like, you don't get more at the top than that. Fuck. Reed would spend all of February and into March tagging in All Japan, and he'd even have his first All Japan singles match March 15th, tapping Nakakiro with the figure four. Then sadly and unexpectedly, Reed Flair's last match ever would be March 17th, 2013, when he teamed up with Kingso, losing to Masanobu Fuchi and Asumu Nishimura after Reed got trapped in a surprise cradle. So we mentioned Reed's string of arrest earlier and how they were probably warning signs. This all leads to March 29th, 2013. Rick said that he and Reed were watching the NCAA tournament. Rick said that he could tell Reed was messed up, but, you know, he'd been through this before. So he simply put Reed to bed in the Charlotte, North Carolina hotel they were at. Rick woke up to find that Reed was purple, which, again, was something that had actually happened before. So Rick called 911, an ambulance came, and Rick waited in the hallway while the EMTs worked like he had done before. Only this time, the paramedics stepped out into the hallway and said, quote, he didn't make it, Rick. Reed's autopsy revealed that it was a drug overdose of heroin with traces of prescription tranquilizers. Richard Reed Fleer was only 25 years old. Fuck. The last thing Reed ever tweeted, two shows in Maryland this weekend with Pops, good wrestling and even better times ahead. Final thoughts on Reed Flair. It's fucked up. I don't remember when he died. I remember the news. So going back and rehashing it all, it's just, it all came rushing back to me. Just him and then those little tidbits about hearing in the news of the trouble he's going through and everything forming. And then it just, it was a big fucking mallet right into my head. Like, oh, fuck. Everything is so brutal about it. Rick's 911 call, which I made myself listen to, which is terrible. You talk about Charlotte, what Charlotte has done now. I mean, God, Charlotte has multiple tattoos on her for him. It breaks my heart to hear her talk about him and what he could have been. Even showing Reed's character, there's an interview on YouTube where a dude's interviewing him. On, I think it's Big Time Sports, and the guy is talking about Jake's match. And the guy's like, oh, the guy said this, blah, 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 the guy, blah, blah, blah. And Reed makes a point to say Jake Manning. He makes a point and to give that little name recognition and props that goes a long way even when it seems small. 
Charlotte had a great quote. She says, I'm going to live for his dream for the both of us. I mean, she's already fucking done that. So there's probably not a lot I can say about Reed that is going to compare to what Jake has to say. You know, he's a great talent. Obviously, he was taken far too soon. It was cool to see a lot of things I'm familiar with. You know, he's from Charlotte. He went to Providence. Looking at his cage match and seeing Jake Manning, seeing Caleb Conley, seeing George South, John Schuyler, Cedric. I just... Heroin has taken a lot of talent off this earth. But if you look at Mitch Hedberg or Jim Morrison, Belushi, Farley, Philip Seymour Hoffman, you know, like, as sad as their deaths were, at least they got to do it for a while. It makes Reed's even sadder because all the potential that was never realized. There's just never an upside with heroin. You know, it it wasn't that long ago that I lost a comedian that I knew. I would say we were friends. Is a guy I started out with in Charlotte. He was someone... He moved to Florida. I did a show in Florida. He came out just to see me, you know, and then fast forward a year later, guys dead of a heroin overdose. I don't know. There's, there's no maintaining it or living with it. And I think if you or someone, you know, is like messing around with heroin, you have to be absolutely ruthless about getting help. This is super sad fucking story. And, uh, I don't know. Rest in peace. Yeah, it really is. Um, it's a tragedy. I mean, it. I mean, think about you know when people talk about you know the heroin epidemic and the opioids, and I just it's like I knew somebody that succumbed to that, and um, it didn't have to be that way. It didn't have to be that way at all. He should, he definitely should still be here today, and um, you know Michael talks about how you know Charlotte you know, has several tattoos that remember and honor him um i got to see how close those those two actually are because um you know high spots did a lot of business with uh rick flair and it ended very poorly so there was a very long period of time where just the mere mention of rick flair's name in the office of highspots.com made everybody irate not to spend too much time on that but uh, basically um rick flair put financial strain on the office so much in fact that I couldn't cash my own paycheck for a while and he was still able to drop a couple thousand dollars on a dinner every Wednesday and so yeah he really it's very hard for me to watch Ric Flair promos and then you know see him as as a wrestler and enjoy his wrestling career and it was very very upsetting because he put me and, and the company I work for in a very difficult financial situation but my boss Michael Bakikio who takes a lot of criticism was a bigger man when Ric Flair called up with no shame in his voice whatsoever and asked if uh, one of his kids could use the wrestling ring for some training because Ashley was interested in in wrestling and so Rick came by and uh, with no shame in his eye whatsoever walked right into high spots and was in the back and was, was teaching Ashley how to take bumps. And Reed was there. And Michael walks to the back. And Rick looks right at Michael and goes, oh, here we go again. I got another one that's interested. And uh, Ashley would show up at the office and, and train from time to time. And, and Reed would be there. Because Ashley was, I think she was either signed or she was had a start date. Or she was for sure going to you know NXT or the Performance Center or whatever they had at, at the time she was going to the developmental system but she just kind of wanted to try it out and see if it was for her or get a feel for it you know kind of like see what she's in for and, and Reed would be there and when Ashley would have like a difficulty grasping something uh, or she'd have a tough time with something I always remember Reed would be there because I, I just right next to the ring at that time my, my edit bay was right there so I was trying to ignore Rick as much as possible and trying to focus on the work but when Rick wasn't there I'd kind of pay attention casually listening and and when Ashley would have like a rough bump or something wasn't going right you know she would be very hard on herself but Reed would be right there for her and be like Ashley it's okay Ashley you're gonna be so good Ashley you're gonna be so much better than me 
Like you're gonna you're gonna be the one that everybody talks about in her family. Like you're gonna you're gonna do her family so proud. You're gonna be awesome. He was such a wonderful, amazing brother, and a cheerleader for his sister, who's become one of the best wrestlers in the entire world. And you know who knows if she didn't have that early encouragement on those first couple steps in her career, she might not be who she is today or even a wrestler at all. If it wasn't for him pushing her along and encouraging her and being there for her as a brother, you know, we can, we can talk about him being a wrestler and the mistakes that he made, but he was an amazing brother, amazing guy. And at the high spots office, we have a lot of people's autograph pictures when you come into the office and, and one of them just happens to be Reed's. And I can't tell you how many times since his passing that I've walked into the office early morning, mid-afternoon, Sunday afternoon, late night, whenever, and probably when we get done and I got to go to the office later on at night and I got to walk in and look at that wall right at the front of the office, I'll probably look at Reed's picture like I do from time to time, just stop what I'm doing and just go, this didn't have to happen. He should be here today. And that's what I think of every time I think of him. He should be here today. None of this should have happened.